So, what's my still? Monday. Monday. Is that his favorite day of the week? All right. We're going to learn about the... Uh, huh? Zeb, how's this month going? Are you getting stuff done? This is his favorite month of the year. Are you kidding? Zev loves this. Zev loves the time of Mashiach. It's only getting started. Zev loves the Mashiach. For Zev this year, he sees the Mesa Mashiach in this month. Okay. So, so um, there is a difference between the book of Devarim and the other books of the Torah. And the question is, how is it really different? Because on the one hand, everything in Torah is from Hashem. Nothing was written by Meshach Rabbi. On the other hand, the Gemara does use expressions which sound like Meshach was speaking by himself in the book of Devarim. And you can't say that means literally he's speaking by himself because the Gemara says if you say even one letter of the Torah, Meshach wrote by himself, you're, you deny the whole thing. So in this talk of the Rebbe, we're going to, this is from volume 19 of the Sichas, we're going to get some insight of what this book is really about. Let's get right to it. So yesterday's Chumash, uh, Meshach Benu says, the Torah says it was in the 40th year, and Meshach Benu spoke to all the Jewish people. There are two perushim, two explanations of what did he say to them. One explanation is he spoke to them words of rebuke. He criticized them. And he's criticized them. Then, then specifically, as on yesterday in Rashi, um, if not now, when? And other reasons why a person should only rebuke people uh, before, um, before going to the uh, next world. So that's one explanation. Rashi says he's told them words of rebuke. The Sephorno has another explanation. Moshe Benu was reviewing with them the entire Torah. So these two explanations aren't a contradiction because they, the book of Dvarim has both things in it. In the book of Dvarim we have words of rebuke and we also have a review of the whole Torah. That's why it's called Mishnah Torah. Mishnah Torah means Torah 2. It's a, ter- it's a repetition of the whole entire Torah. The question, the different explanation of Rashi and the Sephorno is what's the what's the main thing what's the what's the uh, re- main ingredient in this book is this book a book of review or is this book a book of rebuke it has both in it but what's the main point um, before we get into the Sikha you, you know this you, you said you said rebuke twice review book of review or book of rebuke which is actually the point uh, I wanted to say some people no matter what you say to them, they feel rebuke. And there are unique souls which I haven't met any yet. Uh, when you review things with them, rebuke them, they just hear, oh, it's a review, they want to learn more, right? Most of the time when you rebuke someone, they, 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 they shutters their brain um, shut, and they're not interested in hearing what you have to say. But anyways, the book of Dvarim has both rebuke in it, and it has a review in it, and the argument in Rashi and Sephirna was, what's the main thing? But the question that I has like this, since when Moshe Rabbeinu um, uh, speaks to Jewish people in the 40 years. The Torah says, here are the words of Meshach Rabbeinu. Um, we must say that uh, that there is something in Meshach's words that has... In other words, not just that there are two, two different ingredients in this, in this book... And the question is, what's the main one? The fact that Terah introduces both of the of these of these um, uh, the entire book of Dvarim with 
he, these are the words of Meshach Rabbeinu, and the, and the Torah classifies them as, as one thing, we must say that there's a common denominator between rebuke and review. We must say that, that, that there's something that they have in common, because the Torah puts one heading for the entire book. So that means there's something about review that has rebuke in it, and something about rebuke that has review in it, some common denominator between them, and we need to understand what exactly that is. So let's go back, first of all, to the Gemara and see the difference between the book of Dvarim and the other books of the Torah. The Gemara says this, the first four books of the Torah were said by God, the fifth book of the Torah, Moshman said it by himself. When it says that Moshe said it by himself, again, it doesn't mean that he said his own words, Chas uh, As Rashi explains in another place, it doesn't mean he's, he's inventing things here. Rather, Rashi uses the words, Moshe lab me'elev ha'yashayin ala mishatera, el kamesha kiblu hu v'hayachiz magalem. Rather, Moshe Rabbeinu was telling the Jewish people the Torah the way he received it, and now he was repeating it to them. Whatever he is written in the Parshas Veschanon, in the repetition of Moshe Rabbeinu in the, the Ten Commandments, uh, the second time, that's what was what that is what was written on the tablets. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu heard at Sinai, and Tosa says. That when it says that Moshe who spoke to Jewish people by himself, Tesis uses these words, he said it to them with Ruach HaKadosh, with divine inspiration. So if you don't understand what Tesis is answering, you're in good company because the Rebbe has a similar question. The Rebbe's question is, since Moshe Rabbeinu didn't say his own words, rather, he's saying the words of Hashem, which are going through his throat, and that's why he said the words in, um, what is it? The words, the second portion of Shema, what is it? says in parasha, and I will give you rain in your in, in its season. I'm going to give you the rain. How, how can? We just feel like learning that in Rambam. Yesterday. How could how could Moshe give us rain? Rain comes from Hashem. So how could he say I'm giving you rain? No, 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 no. It's 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 coming up. It's actually parasha zeker, parasha zeker. So since Moshe Rabbeinu is is. Uh, <coughs> Moshe Rabbeinu is, is uh, speaking to us it, with Hashem's voice. He's telling us, I will give you rain when Hashem is giving us rain. In this, in the same book of Dvarim, the, the, where we're saying Moshe is talking by himself, he's, God's talking through, through his throat. So what do we mean when we say it was by himself? It was clearly not by himself. Hashem was speaking through it in, in his throat. There's a similar question that we could ask about the, um, the Gemara's um, classification of this book. The Gemara says that in general there is an argument between two opinions whether or not you can derive anything from the fact that Torah puts two subjects together. There's a question whether or not that's significant. It's called smuchim. The, the Torah puts together two concepts, one after another. Is that, does that mean you're supposed to learn a lesson from it? Does that, is that, is that, does, that, does that have any bearing on the interpretation of Torah? One opinion says yes, one opinion says no, but everyone agrees, the Gemara says, the book of Devarim, since it was written by Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu clearly had placed everything in order, and therefore you can interpret the, um, the, the words of the Torah as uh, in their context. If one subject follows another subject, it must be, the Gemara says, that they have a connection, because Moshe Rabbeinu wrote it. So if he wrote it, 
There must be some intent there. That's the Gemara says. But the question again is, why is it that, you, that there's an opinion that says you can't learn anything from the fact that the Torah puts two subjects together? Because it's, the, the, that opinion says it's from Hashem, and Hashem doesn't have any order in the Torah. No, just like there's no chronological order in the Torah, there's also no way to understand why the Torah puts two subjects together, and therefore you can't interpret the other four books of the Torah. But since Mishnah Torah, the fifth book of the Torah, Book of Tevarim, was also written with Ruach HaKadosh, also by divine inspiration, so why by this book of the Torah do we say that the order has to do with Meish It wasn't Meish God is speaking through his throat. So if you're going to say that there is an order in the Torah, and the fact that the Torah puts two subjects together, it's significant because, because uh, of Meish Rabbeinu's input in Torah, if you will, then, uh, then it wasn't by divine inspiration. And if you're going to say it was by divine inspiration, then there's no input of Meish Rabbeinu. So what is the difference between this book and other books of the Torah? You can't say he did it by himself. You can't either say that he didn't do it by himself, because the Gemara says everyone agrees that the book of Dvarim has a different kind of order, Meish Rabbeinu had more input. What's going on? What exactly is his input? Uh, what makes his input different in this book than the other books? If it was divine inspiration, there's no input. It's Hashem speaking. You hear the Kasha? So explanation like this. Says in Gemara, the Torah existed 2,000 years before the world was created. It doesn't just mean um, in time. It means mainly in importance. The Torah is naturally, organically, by itself, above the world. And therefore, in order for Torah to reach the world, there had to be an intermediary. Intermediary, in general, is someone who has to a foot in both worlds. You can't transfer from point A to point B if point A and point B are, are worlds apart unless you have a foot in both worlds. If you're going to transfer from something above the world to the world, you have to be able to um, absorb something from the higher world. You have to be able to also to understand the world beneath it to, to transfer to that world beneath it. And that's where you're able to connect them. So who is the intermediary that brought us to Torah? The Torah is above the world. Who brings us to Torah? Meish Rabbeinu. How can Meish Rabbeinu give us a Torah? Because he has in himself two extremes. On the one hand, Meish Rabbeinu was absolute vital, v'nachnuma, you know, sense of self. His devotion to Hashem was something otherworldly. He was, he was completely devoted to Hashem in a way that was no sense of self. And on the other hand, he was someone who had absolute perfection. He had perfection in this world. He was 10 amas tall. 10 amas tall is either 15 feet tall or 20 feet tall. Uh, the regular size of human being, the Gemara says, is 3 amas tall, 6 feet tall, or, or, or um, 4 and a half. 3 amas would be um, 4 and a half feet tall. So, uh, it's much better. I like, I like the second explanation, the second opinion of of, of the Yama. I feel much taller now. Anyway, so, so so the average size of a person is three Amas. Meishmin was ten Amas tall. Why is he ten Amas tall? He's ten Amas tall that represents how he is not just perfect in the higher worlds, he's perfect in this world as well. His Even his body is something head and shoulders above everybody else. There's a similar um, concept in Gemara. Gemara uh, has this thing called the Maturgaman. When the sages would speak, 
So uh, there will be someone who would scream out their words or translate their words to their students. So the, the, the guy who was transferring the words to the people, he had to be able to both receive from the teacher and be able to give it over to the people. He had to have both elements in him. So Meishah bin also, he had this element of, of devotion to Hashem, and he also had this element of perfection in this world. And that's why he could um, transfer um, Hashem's words from another world to this world. There's a similar thing we find in Meishah Benu's um, prophecy. His prophecy was above all other prophets, on the one hand. On the other hand, all the prophets, when they gave prophecy, what did they do? You know, you know what they did, right? They took their clothes off, they, they rolled clo- around naked, and like a hypnotic trance. Right. It sounded like a Woodstock. Yeah. Uh, so, so Meir didn't have to take off his clothing, didn't have to listen to music. Meir was able to be awake while God was speaking to him. And so, so these see two extremes. On the one hand, he's hearing the words of God, in a way that no one else can. Everyone else, hear, else hears the words of God like in a dream. They hear the words of God in a riddle. Meishah hears the words of God directly, pure words of Hashem, unadulterated, unfiltered. Hashem's words clearly. On the other hand, so that's higher. On the other hand, he is totally present in the world. He's totally awake. So those are so that's a similar thing we're saying about the Torah. On the one hand, he's totally devoted to Hashem. On the other hand, he is. So he's, he's able to receive from another world. On the other hand, he is perfection in this world. And that's why he's able to connect the Torah, which is above the world, with this world. Th- th- there's a, another Pasuk which um, says, it says, Meisha is called Ishalakim, a man of God. And the Talmud says, from his waist up, he was godly. From his waist down, he was man. Whatever that means. But the point is that he, was, he had a foot in both worlds, and therefore he is able to transfer God's words to us. Now, that's just the facts. Now we're going to go in a little bit uh, about two different ways th- things are transferred. We learned this a few weeks ago also. Um, in transferring something, in being an intermediary itself, there's two different ways. There's what's called mavir and islapshus. Remember this? Mavir and islapshus. We learned about this in regards to um, the Beis HaMikdash. Um, the, the, there is a divine presence in, in the Beis HaMikdash, in Yerushalayim. Hashem's presence is revealed there. You could see Hashem there. There's a discussion, a bit in Chassidus, based upon an argument between the, the Ravid and the Rambam, the Ramban. What exactly was the... How exactly did Hashem's presence become manifest in the Beis HaMikdash? Mavir means that something just passes through some through something else. There's no; it's not affected by by the object that passes through. It's like a funnel; it just goes through it. So, um, in our lives, in ourselves, our information we have in our brain is able to be exp- expressed through our hands, and we're able to write down ideas. The hand doesn't change the ideas in your brain. You have something you're thinking of. Whatever you want to write down in words, you, you, you crystallize and you put on, on the paper and the, your hand doesn't further filter the information. So the hand is called mavir, it just passes through the hand. It doesn't have the same message as it is in your brain. <coughs> it's now on paper, 
but it's it's it hasn't the message hasn't changed at all. It's now it's not now physical. You can read it, but it hasn't changed. It'll just pass it through your hand. However, if we were to talk about the way the information goes from your neshama to your brain, that would already be called a slapshus. The neshama is married to the body, and your brain is a vehicle, a vessel for your mind, for your, for your soul's mind. And when your soul enters your mind, when your mind enters your brain, so two things happen. One thing is, is that the brain um, dims the light of the, of the mind. Another is that the, the brain harnesses what it can from the mind, and it, uh, and it, and it filters in a way that, that, you, that is relevant to you as a human being. So you can understand. So why in Hashem is Ganadin, there's no filter. Just the mind of the soul is, is, is godly and it's a whole different thing. And the brain, it, it, it's a lot uh, coarse, very coarse, and therefore it cannot transfer from the neshama's mind, is pure neshama information, but it can transfer some stuff. So that's why it's called a, uh, a slapshus. The soul is vested in the brain, and it's changed by the brain. It's, it's not the same kind of information as it was before. So when we say that Hashem's presence rests in Yerushalayim, did it just pass through the soil? And this is a, this is a place where God's light shines, and it doesn't. It's not. It, it's not part of the physical place at all. It just happens to be there. Or does Hashem's light become connected with the place that it's in? Do the various components in the Beis Hamikdash? You know what the Beis Hamikdash was? Beis Hamikdash was a madhouse. It's a house of total revelation of Hashem, total love of Hashem. So the various components of Beis Hamikdash. There's here's the Meneira, and here's the Shulchan, and here's the measurements. You ever saw the video of this guy coming by the Rebbe? With his model of Esamikdash, see it. You've seen it. Mm-hmm. You've never seen it. It's mamish like like unbelievable. It's otherworldly. He shows the Rebbe his model of Esamikdash, and without not in a second, in in in, in under uh, in a microsecond, the Rebbe takes a look at it, and says the ramp. Where's the ramp? And he shows the Rebbe the ramp, and the Rebbe asks a question about the ramp. It's, it's the wrong size, and it was the guy like you know he like really worked hard on that on his model. But the ramp of every single component, it's always, I mean, everything was perfect to scale. The ramp was three millimeters off. <laughs> and it wasn't like, like, like uh, you know, I was looking at it and, and the ramp. So, so um, every space, Mr. Migdash conveys something godly. And it's just, a couple it, questions. No, you want the video. The text mail sent to you. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Um. So why is it that until the base of Mikdash is perfectly, it's only when everything was the exact measurements and everything was correct, then the light was able to come in. It, 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 ha- it had to have been perfect for that divine light to, to be manifest there. But after the fact that the light came through, now that specific article has a continuous condition to it that you can't throw it out and it's still reading retains that previously divine effluence that got put into it remains there. But true. before that, it's just a regular piece of metal. True. True, therefore. What's your question? So you're, you're saying that the, that the light gets put in and in the base of Mikdash, it retains there. Yes. It's, it stayed there forever. Right. It's mislambish. There's a vessel for it. And now it's able to stay in it because it, it's a container for it. It's beslabish in it. Well, 
okay, when it goes into it, when it goes into it, is is there something of the physical world that now that, that when it retains this kedusha in it, is there some is there some change there, or is it the same as it was before? When it becomes in the physical way, does it just pass through, or is there something that's 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 changed? It has to has to have been changed right? because two minutes, in two minutes. Okay, so 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 um. The, another another example Chassidus gives is is the way uh, our mind affects our feelings. So your feelings, you think of uh, you think of why you love someone, you think about why someone is so so special to you. That thought, you 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 officially you love someone, right? But but you don't really think about why you love them. When you think about why you love them, that gives animation to your feelings. So when your feelings are animated by your thoughts, your 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 feelings are now have your mind in them, but can you compare the way those same thoughts are intellectually to the way they are emotionally? The way they are intellectually, it's about the truth. The way they are emotionally is how I feel about them. So that's a slapshus. My mind is going into my feelings and altering and manipulating and changing, or not manipulating, more animating them. It's, 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 that's a slapshus. The intellect is, is changed by it. So Th- this insight, difference between Mavin and Slapshus, will uh, give us some some, some uh, uh, understanding of, of uh, the difference between the book of Dvarim and the other books of the Torah. Um, let's Mr. Shem, uh, get into this tomorrow, Mr. Shem. Let's stop now. One, one, one more quick question. Yeah. When you're writing something with Baruch HaKadosh, is your hand technically writing it, or is it your mind, or is it, again, just passing through and there's no filter because you don't really get involved in what you're writing or can you literally be thinking one thing and your hand is writing something else because the Hashem is giving you this extra koyach and extra ruach, ruach koydish into the writing the right as we start talking about the Rashi he had no idea what he's even writing at some points did he really have all of these deep insights that the Rebbe brings out from a Rashi there is there are many there are many levels of Ruch Hakodesh. Rabbi Chitzik writes in his Sefer that in the name of the Tzemach Tzedek that the lowest level of Ruch Hakodesh is that you don't know why you're saying what you're saying. That's the lowest level of Ruch Hakodesh. That's that that's that's like a given. That's that's that's, that's like one one prophecy school. You don't know what you're saying. So, uh, but but that's only that's only level one. So um, I'm I'm sure that. Uh, or like the Alter Rebbe had to study the Tanya, and, and their people parcher argue that children Tzemach Tzedek against Tzemach Tzedek about what the Tzemach Tzedek said about his own mimer. There is there is the divine inspiration that the Tzemach Tzedek is speaking from our Sinai, saying the words the words of Torah. Then there is a way that the Torah is studied by the Tzemach Tzedek also. All right, we continued. Great day, Yonatan. Great day, Zev. Great day, Dr. Bresman. Great day, Mechol Mordechai.